Good morning. It's glad to be here, and I say that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, being away from you has helped me realize how much I love you, and uh, our families will be back next week. Uh, they could have come this week. We just wanted to give it one more week uh, to get uh, make sure it's gone, and it is. And so let's pick up where we left off. I'm so been so appreciative. If you're watching online, we're uh, we're working through the Gospel of John. Was out for the last couple of weeks and appreciate Micah and, and Mike as they faithfully carried the word forward. But we wanted to pick up where we left off with John. We don't want to miss anything. And so I've been sitting on this text for two or three weeks. And, and so I want to just, re- I'm ready just to jump in. But here's the honest truth this morning. It's our main idea. If you've got your notes, it's at the top. Jesus' plans are seldom our plans. Amen. If you've lived for a week in any real life, you understand that's true. Jesus' plans are seldom our plans, but he can be trusted to not only share in our pain, but provide the victory. Uh, Familiar stories in Scripture is wonderful and yet dangerous because we often can just sort of read over them, grab a moral truth, and be about our way, but we want to slow down today. We're going to look at the first 44 verses, and we're just going to jump in today. So let's refresh our minds of the story. John chapter 11, I'm just going to read the first few verses. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So the context is this is a friend of Jesus. They are tight. They are close. And he is ill. I don't know whether you know this or not, but the average lifespan of someone in that day, especially men, was about 35 to 40 years old. So despite what we thought that Jesus was a young man, Jesus in that day was a senior citizen. They didn't live long. It was only a little over 100 years here in the Western culture that only 4% of people made it to age 65. And so... A little bit of the context of what's going on. This guy is sick, and they didn't have any antibiotics. That was serious. Anytime somebody got sick, life was hard. There was no medicine. And instead of doing what they thought, look at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So we get this story. Somebody Jesus loves is sick. Instead of coming directly, he waits. When he gets there, Lazarus not only just died, he's been dead. You ever had a a pastor or some well-meaning person tell you to try to comfort you with this statement, death is just part of life, right? We've all heard it. We've probably said it. Did you know that's not a Christian worldview? It's not what should come out of a Christian's mouth. If this was the biggest piece of change, this is the Pelican buck, so it's, it's worth a dollar, right? We have been taught as Christians that if 
if this is a two-sided coin, that the opposite side of life is death. That is, at best, atheistic, and at worst, heretical. The opposite side of life. If you ask John, just ask John. John, what's the other side of the coin? If, if what your message was a coin, the opposite side of life, he would say, faith. The opposite side of sin is death. You could say the opposite side of unbelief is death. And so it's important to not always believe what well-meaning people say. You see, for Christians, our understanding of who we are, of the problem in this world, the understanding of what is going to be done and has been done and will be done to fix it is to understand death is an enemy. Death is the consequence of sin. It is the consequence of unbelief and ultimately is to be destroyed by God. In other words, death has a death date. Amen. That's the Christian worldview, brothers and sisters. And if you hear it, even in times of your trauma, somebody says death is a natural part of life, just spit that out. They didn't mean it. Or maybe they did. They're just ignorant. It's not natural. Does it, did it feel natural when that loved one you love died? It's not natural. It's an enemy. Last week, we see the, the necessary understanding. And if we're going to rest, we must have faith. Jesus wants everybody listening and watching today to understand. If you're going to have life, you must have faith. But this is reality. Jesus' plans are seldom our plans. If you ask me, some 10 years ago, Stephen, what is your plans in life? said, I was born into a family business. My plan was to run that business and carry that on within the family. That was my plan. It was our plan. Guess what? It wasn't the Lord's plan. And if we ask you today, if you talk about that at lunch, remember the things, the plans that you made. It was not the Lord's. It's happened in Mary and Martha's life. Mary and Martha's plans understandable. Look at verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, saying, The Lord whom you love is ill. So we don't know exactly where Jesus is. John all, doesn't always work chronological. So you've got to be careful to try to figure out where he was. He was probably about two days away. So they had to send somebody to, to tell him, and then that person had to come back. Mary and Martha had a plan. Jesus loves us. He will come, right? That's understandable. Wouldn't we have thought that if someone you care about is sick, it's hard. That's why COVID's so bad, isn't it? Because when people love or even die, you can't go to them. You want to go to them. That, that was the plan. The reality is he died. And Jesus didn't come. The disciples had a plan, too. Look down at verse 7 and 8. The disciples' plan is a logical plan. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? So what was their plan? You do not go where people want to kill you. <laughs> that makes sense, doesn't it? Lord, they, they're about to stone you there. 
I got a plan. Let's stay where we are. I love Thomas. He reminds me of Eeyore at Winnie the Pooh, you know. Look at uh, verse 16. Let us go so that we might die with him. <laughs> right? That was a pretty good Eeyore, by the way. <laughs> I'm good at it, you know. I got that in my own makeup. They both had plans. Mary and Martha had a plan. The disciples had a plan. But it wasn't Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan is always bigger. We could say this, whether it's in Lazarus' life, whether it's in Mary Martha's life, or whether it is your life today and what you're going through. God's plans always consist of three things. Our good, God's glory, but His timing. And that last part's tough. His timing. So in verse 4, we see this. What Jesus said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son may be glorified through it. The only purpose He gives for doing things the way He did is that this is going to bring glory to God. You know this passage, just listen to it. Isaiah 55 verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. This is the truth. Jesus' plans seldom make sense to us. In verse 5 and 6, when he said what he said, Think about whether you're the disciples who said, now, you love that guy. And you basically said, eh, let's not worry about it. Doesn't lead to death, it's all right. It almost seems heartless. Think about expecting Jesus to arrive within a couple days. He doesn't arrive. You have another 48 hours to wonder, I thought he cared about us. I thought he loved Lazarus. What is he doing? What could be more important? I remember losing our child through miscarriage and asking God that question. Why in the world would you give us a child and then take it away? You, you feel that? That's life, brothers and sisters. And it's real life. And we might as well not act like it's not there. His plans do not always make sense to us. Sometimes his word does not make sense to us. Think about what he said. Look at verse 4. He says the sickness won't lead to death. Now look down at verses 11 to 13. He uses in that culture, this would not have been a clear metaphor. He, he compares death to sleep. So he gives them then an unclear metaphor of what's going on. And then in verse 14, he says, Lazarus has died. So now put that together. This sickness won't lead to death. He's only sleeping. He's dead. Right? Now put yourself in their disciple situation. You know, they're looking at each other. Don't you hate these masks? I can only see your eyes, you know? But can't you just imagine the facial expressions in the eyes of, of everybody looking at Peter going, you know, like they always did. Peter. Do you understand what he's saying? Mm -mm. You ask him, you know, what, is it, what does he mean? We don't understand. You see, Jesus' timing was controlled by the Father's will. 
His timing was not controlled by the request of friends nor family. We seek not ultimately to please our friends and family, but to please God, to obey Him. It was His timing, but the Father's will was ultimate. And the Father's will, listen, is always for God's glory and the love of the family. I mean, we know the end of the story. And I ask you, was it a lesser love or a greater love? Jesus' plan seldom makes sense. Question, throughout this whole text, throughout this whole book, we go to another synoptic like, like Pastor Micah did last week. The question is still the same. Do you trust me? It's a question of life. Who are you trusting in? Everybody's trusting in somebody. Do you trust me? Look at verses 14 and 15. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, listen to what he says. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Now just, what if we just stop there, right? Now, Think, you're the disciple, you're hearing this. I'm glad that he's dead. I'm glad that I wasn't there. Why did he say it? So that you may believe. Do you see that? The whole point of this, brothers, what he's telling the disciples, the whole point of this, brothers, is that you may grow in your faith. So let us go. Let us go. The disciples are worried about their life, their well-being, and Jesus' well-being. He said, let's go. It's only a week. Realize that. It's only a week. Everything that happens from this point on, brothers and sisters, in the, in the Gospel of John is in slow motion. There's only a week to the cross. I only have a week left. And I'm not going to waste it not doing what my father said to do. So let's go. Jesus' plans are seldom our plans, but Jesus can be trusted. We see it in two conversations. The first one was Jesus and Martha. Verses 17 to 27. Remember, Martha is the more direct sister. She's just going to come right out and say it. So this timing is not accidental. This four days of him being in the grave is purposeful. Uh, Some people who study these things would make the point that some Jewish people had a mystical idea that the soul, the spirit of a person, hovered over the body of the person for a couple days and may enter back into it. And so the, the point is that he's dead, dead. Like in the grave, dead. He's not coming back. You remember in the, uh, with some of the theories that come up try to explain away the resurrection of Jesus. One of them was called the swoon theory, to where Jesus, for some way or another, wasn't completely dead. He just sort of swooned back to life. Jesus is saying, Lazarus dead, dead. Martha knew it. How does she respond when she saw Jesus? Look at verses 20 and 21. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. You see their personalities. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. The question she's asking is the question we have all asked at one point in time, or we will. Why, Lord? Why? I mean, aren't you grateful this morning that our God can can handle the question why? He can handle it. You've got it in your mind, brothers and sisters. We might as well ask Him. Why, Lord? 
If you'd have been here, why wouldn't you hear? Her words were full of both honest grief, and yet we see faith. You could have both, brothers and sisters. You could have both. Verse 22. But, but even now, Martha speaking, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, now, Martha shared the same view that the Pharisees would have shared, that there is a resurrection. We've been singing about that today. There's a coming resurrection. The Pharisees believe it. You remember the Sadducees did not believe it. That's why they always got in arguments with each other. Jesus is promising something more than just a future resurrection. He is promising an immediate one. What will both the present resurrection and the future resurrection be based on? He tells us in verse 25. It is the core verse of this section. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus does not say that I am going to give him a resurrected. I'm not, he didn't say, I'm just going to give him life. He's given us the foundation of that which he will do. I am life. I am resurrected. This is the fifth of the seventh I am's in John. So we have the signs and we have the I am's. The signs, and this is the last one that John's going to give us. Always point to the I am. His signs point to his identity because it is his identity that governs why he does what he does, including the fact that his plans are not always our plans. He's saying he holds the key of life and death. He's the foundation of of the power that created life. He did not create death, he did not create man to die. That came because of unbelief. Jesus already said this about himself. Do you remember? Flip back to chapter 10. Flip back to chapter 10. Look at verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up. This charge I received from my father. He had not only the power and the authority to resurrect Lazarus, but to resurrect himself. The question is the same. Do you trust me? See verse 26. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That is the question. She said to him, yes, Lord. Listen to what she says. I believe That you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Mary's faith is on what? Did Martha's faith, did Martha understand what is about to happen? No. This is still not completely making sense to her. What is Martha's faith centered on? I believe that you are. That comes before I believe you will. I believe you are. Turn with me. I want you to see this. Hebrews. A 
I don't know what you sit up thinking about. We don't have anything else to think about. Pastors think about what books they'd like to preach in. Right? This is one of them. Every time I go to Hebrews, oh, I don't want to preach that book. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So could I just change the grammar in that and say, and let Jesus say this to us this morning. And without faith, it is impossible to please me. For whoever would draw near to me must believe that I am and that I reward those who seek me. Jesus is the I am. He exists. He is. And everything that happens is based off this. But do not miss Jesus' response. We see his response to what he's seeing, the situation, in the next conversation between Jesus and Mary. Verse 32. And when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same response as Martha. But notice what Jesus does. This is important. This is where we're going to go with the application. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and listen, greatly troubled. There is no person who studies this text, that understands the language and what Jesus was saying when he was saying that would interpret that verse to say Jesus was merely empathetic, grief-stricken. That's not what that word means. That word means that Jesus was agitated. He was aggravated. He was indignant. Jesus was angry. Say, what was he angry over? Think about the situation Death had taken his friend. He's in a cave. Tomb was the, the rock was in front of it. Everybody around him was grief stricken. And in the middle of it, in the middle of it stands the one that created the universe. He was angry over unbelief and death. It was all around him. Jesus was just more than just empathetic, which he's going to be, and we'll see that in a minute. He was agitated. He was angry unbelief and what is caused death. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. But think about your coin now. <laughs> wages of sin is death. The gift of grace is what? Life. And life eternal. You see the disciples. Mary and Martha feared death. They were having a death has just one party. Right? It's de death is the ultimate winner. Jesus stands in the middle of that. And teaches them a distinctively different. A distinctive Christian perspective on death. Death is no more than sleep when you know the one who has authority over it. Changes the way you see life, brothers and sisters, both now and forever. 
Jesus' anger reveals his authority. Reveals his authority over something. I always told people when I ran a business, I didn't have to lose my temper because I could fire you. I didn't have to pitch a fit. Jesus didn't lose his temper. Jesus was angry. Jesus had authority. And Jesus could do something about it. And he's about to. You remember beautiful passages, Romans 8. It says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. We can have a tendency to be like Eeyore. All the day long we're suffering because we're Christians. Paul said in verse 37, No, through all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Nothing, nothing, nothing has the ability to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The same grief, the same unbelief that prompted his anger also generated his grief. Yes, both can be true. So we see in verses 34 to 37, Jesus enters into the pain of those that are suffering. Verse 34, and he said to them, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. You see, there is something of an indescribable privilege we have as family and friends to be able to walk with each other in moments of grief. It is holy sacred we build relationships with people and when the unexpected happen who are they going to call that person that invested in their life it's not easy to do so listen this morning let us gain a little simple application point today in that little two word sentence in verse 35 in times of grief people need to see the abiding nature of our love not the profound nature of our words in times of grief, people need to see the abiding nature of our love, not the profound nature of our words. Jesus entered into it. Jesus is about to do his greatest miracle. That's what John would say. That's why he puts it here. It's the last sign. It's the pinnacle. It's pointing to what's about to happen. He's on the verge of it. He still takes the time to suffer with those who suffer. And so must we. And then, having entered into their grief, he moves to remove it. Jesus provides the victory through his resurrection power. And notice this in verse 38 to 40. Even when Jesus commands, they still don't understand. They had not got the plan yet. <laughs> they don't understand. Nobody's ever raised anybody from the dead. They don't, they don't get this. Notice the same language, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And so they, most of the time they buried people in caves. Same thing with Jesus' death and resurrection. There would have been a large stone, probably four to five Feet in diameter, several inches thick. They would have rolled it in front of there. They said, remove it. John is teaching us this principle that's been through the whole gospel. 
where we would say seeing is believing, John's teaching, believing is seeing. That one, one precedes the other, but faith precedes sight. He commands that they don't understand. I love the, the King James is the best here. What is it? Behold, he stinketh. <laughs> he stinketh. I like that. I say that all the time too. It's one of those things in the King James that just sticks in your head and never goes away. She stinketh. So that's the picture you need to get in your mind. When they roll the, tomb, the, the stone away, this odor of this dude who's done been in a state of decay sweeps out of that tomb and grabs everybody by the throat. And what does Jesus do? He prays. He prays aloud for a purpose. Notice the purpose. So they took the stone away and Jesus lifted his eyes. Verse 41. And said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. Why? Here it is, same purpose, same question, that they may believe you sent me. The power of Jesus is seen in his prayer here. The authority over death is seen in his prayer. The prayer has already been asked and answered. The Father and the Son do not have to have meetings. They are of the same substance, the same nature. When the Father wills it, the Son declares it, the Spirit administers it. No way to stop that from happening. That's the work of God, brothers and sisters. It is in His life now. It is unstoppable that Lazarus will be raised from the dead. The powers of hell and the grave cannot stop it. For the will of God has spoken. And so Jesus shouts. Shouts. This is almost anticlimactic after all the, all the conversation of the whole story. We get to the end. It says, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Shouted it. That's the language. He screamed it over the top of the wailing and the weeping and the unbelief. Stands Jesus shouting over the top of all of it. And Lazarus comes waddling out in his grave clothes. You know what that points to? Two things. What's about to happen in just a matter of days. And you. You. Can, can't you hear it? Ephesians 2.1. Is that what popped up in your, in your mind? It should have. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Lazarus is you. It's me. If you were saved today, you used to be a Lazarus. Dead in your sins, and your life proved it. I don't care if you was raised in the church. The biggest people that have the most problem with God are the hypocrites who sit in the pews on Sunday and do not live life like they're Christians. They have the greater problem with God. Dead. Dead. They were dead. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen. Thank you. I got to read this passage. I, thinking about Jesus shouting. We've been, we've been singing about it. But let me just read it. This is coming brothers and sisters. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16. Verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, 
with the sound of the trumpet of God. Does that sound like you're not going to hear it? And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus Christ died to give us life now and forever. So what today? So what today? Are you settling? Are you settling? Have you found yourself over the last nine months settling more? Settling for what? We've got two choices here in life. As, as Solomon would say, as life under the sun. We can either live in faithless fear or fearless faith. Am I settling for a life of faithless fear? And instead of Christ, what Christ died to give me, a life of fearless faith. Peter, we love Peter. Peter represents to some degree us all at some point in time. Peter understood to get sort of stuck in the faithless fear muck. <laughs> so does we. Turn with me to Luke, to Luke, Luke 22. I want you to see this. Hang with me. I'm going somewhere here. Luke 22. Look at verse 31. This is, by the way, this is that same time frame. Jesus is about to go to the cross here. It's in the same time period we're reading in John. Jesus said to Peter, verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to both prison and to death. Peter's plan was not to deny his Lord. Did. Did Peter's faith fail? In part, yes. You see the word here? Satan dis desires to sift you. A word means separate. Mom used to, my mom always had one of those things that sifted her flour. Right? You put the flour on top and she it sifted it. What's going to get stuck on top? What's not going to go through the sifter? Here's what the devil's counting on in your life and mine. Faith. It's what he wants to stick. He doesn't want it to come through. He wants it to separate. Listen to John Piper preach on this text. He said, the devil eats faith for breakfast. He does. Peter knew what it meant to blow it. And listen, if we could all just be honest with ourselves for a minute, all of us do. We know what it means to blow it. But by God's grace, Peter also knew what it meant to be strengthened, to be restored. When you turn to me, strengthen your brothers. Do you remember on the, on the shore of John chapter 21, Jesus, after the resurrection, sharing a, of some fish with the disciples, and he looked over and asked, John, asked Peter, Do you love me? Lord, you know, you know I love you. Do you love me more than these? And he asked him that a third time. Do you love me? 
feed my sheep. Swati had already prayed for him. By the way, it's exactly what Peter did. You see, fearless faith has two realities in your life and mine. Two A's today. How do I know if I'm stuck in fearless faith? Or faithless fear? Faithless fear looks like apathy. It looks like anxiety. That's what it looks like when it works itself out in our life. So the question we have to ask ourselves today, did Jesus go to the cross? Did He raise from the dead three days later and deliver us from eternal hell only to live life driven by restless anxiety or apathetic meaninglessness? Is that what He died for? To save our soul and leave us in anxiety? To save our soul but to leave us sitting on the couch playing video games waiting on us to die? Is that what He gave us to do? Jesus went to the cross so that we might live in fearless faith. No, there will never be, you will never experience perfect faith. Nor me. We long for it. Not going to make peace with my fear. How about you? How can, what can we do about this this morning? You may be restlessly anxious. Not want to say it out loud. It's true anyway. We've all been there. We all will be there. This whole COVID thing may have gotten us apathetic. How do you fight it? Let us go back to Jesus. What did Jesus do when he looked around and he saw fear? What did he do? He got angry. Listen, some of us have made peace with some of our issues. Some of our issues have become comfort zones for us. The only way, brothers and sisters, that we will step into the life that God has died to give to us is to get angry over these things that do not bring glory to God and to stop us from experiencing the joy that He had died for us to have. It does not matter whether it is anxiety or it is addiction. It is trauma. Brothers and sisters, we must stare it in the face and we must get angry over it. Jesus did not die on the cross for me to live in the spirit of fear. He didn't die on the cross for me to live in addiction. He didn't die on the cross for me to be stuck in the muck of depression my whole life. And I am not going to make peace with it. How about you? It is my story, brothers and sisters. I am not preaching something to you that I am not willing to fight for myself and have not fought and will not fight. We must fight for it together. You see, we long for that future that's to come, but we are under the sun right now. We're living a life right now. That's what John wants us to understand. That's what he wanted for people when he looked around. He didn't want them to live in fear. He wanted them to live by faith. And watch what God raises from the dead. This is our Lord. He is your God. He is your brother. He is your friend. And He has the power to raise people from the dead. Can He not deliver us from what we are going through today? 1 Peter 5 verse 10. Peter understood it. See, Peter understood what it meant to blow it. 
Peter understood what it meant to be restored. And so he wrote a letter to suffering people. 1 Peter 5.10 says this, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And brothers and sisters, that is a promise from the one who inspired these very words for Peter to write, has risen from the grave. And so now, brothers and sisters, whether you're watching online, whether you're with us, let us respond. Let us remember and respond. If you're watching today, listen to me for a minute. You may have been stuck in your house for months. If you're a Christian, listen to me. You must worship. You must. You stand to your feet in your living room and worship your Lord. He's the God. He's God of COVID. He's God of cancer. He's God of the criticism that, that you are under. He is God. And you must worship Him. And so let us remember and let us respond today to who Jesus is. To what he has done. And listen, to what he has promised that he will do. God's people, ever since the resurrection and God's church was established, gathered themselves together on resurrection day to remember that their Savior is a risen Savior. Then they go to the tables to remember the high cost it cost them to have such a high privilege. And on that resurrection Sunday, where they remembered the resurrection, where they remembered the cross, they longed for the new heavens and the new earth, to where there would be no more sickness and no more death. They did all of that every time they gathered, and so must we. And so let us pray together. Lord, we now come to the time when we get to respond again. Lord, we have responded already, and so now. Receive our worship, and Lord, we know that you will. Fill us with your spirit, for you have promised it to us. Shake us, God. Shake us. Shake our lives. Lord, we are sick of being apathetic. We are sick of being fearful. We are sick of being anxious. You have called us to live no matter the situation. And so, Lord, do your work among your people as you have always done from the beginning of time itself. Accomplish your will in us, with us, through us, for our good and your glory. And God, give us the faith and the patience to trust your timing. And now, Lord, receive our worship as we come to the tables. Receive our worship as we sing. Receive our worship as we give. Receive our worship from those that are at home today. As they respond. For your glory and in your name of your Son we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.